Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help you take your business to the next level. One way to do that is to understand and appreciate different insights. Spend more time thinking about the business, not just doing the business. So what I try to do is take different topics, topics that, you know, I believe are relevant and really will help you kind of take your business to the next level. This podcast series is supported by the National Association of the Remodeling Industry, NARI, as well as Professional Remodeler, and produced by Surefire Local. So today I want to talk about a topic that is, I think, probably very relevant to those listening to this, and that's kind of what you're experiencing today. And the title or the theme I want to talk about is, It's a Marathon, Not a Sprint. We're always trying to kind of look for metaphors, look for analogies or allegories that will help us, I think, understand or make sense of what's happening out there. I remember on March 13th actually leading a session uh, in Michigan where we talked about, uh, you know, think about this like building a bridge, building a bridge over something. And we actually went around the table and talked about how long do you think that this is going to last. And on average, they were thinking about three months before we were able to get back to normal. Well, needless to say, that was five months ago. So it's been a little while and that really didn't work in terms of that bridge. After a month or so into it, I started to look at it more in terms of like a distance race or a run or a charity run. You know, I used to talk to a lot of people about you know, as a 5K or a 10K, you know, there is going to be an end to this and therefore start to think of it a little bit more like a 5K or 10K. And if you think about it in terms of that kind of distance, you know, a 5K, for example, is something that, yeah, it is going to take some effort and you do need to have, I think, the right equipment and the right nourishment. But for the most part, most people, if they put their mind to it, they could kind of get through that fairly easily. Once it becomes maybe a 10K, it's a little bit different scale and it's a lot more difficult. But again, it's not unheard of for making that decision and then just going ahead and doing it or doing it on a regular basis. More recently, my real focus has been with all the news out there is that we're in the marathon kind of level. And if you think about kind of a marathon as an analogy, And more specifically, what is a marathon? You know, a marathon is over 26 miles. A marathon, you know, really requires months of training, not just days. A marathon, as you're running for that many hours, you might see multiple weather changes throughout the course of the time that you're actually doing it. It may start off sunny and then may may rain and may get sunny again. So you're going to see changes in terms of the environment. I think a marathon also requires, you know, a different level of commitment. I know many friends that have run marathons. I mean, they're training literally for months and months to run a specific event. A marathon also has impacts that are not just physical impacts. There are also impacts psychological and on your mind and very different, I think, from different races. 
A marathon also employs different strategies. You have to think about how you're not only going to train, but how you're going to get through based on what the course is and based on kind of the, the points that you're able to kind of recharge along the way. You know, a marathon uh, is hard, certainly very, very hard, although I've never run one. It's very, very hard. But think about the lifetime memory. Think about the impact on the people that do it. They're always talking about when they ran a particular marathon. So it really left a, a strong impression. And then, you know, the bottom line, I think, for anybody that thinks about running a marathon, it's not kind of a casual thing. You just flip a switch and decide to do it. You really probably have to have a strong why. And the strong why may have to do with just an overall lifetime goal. The strong why may have more to do with uh, something that's related to a charity. Who knows exactly what the why is, but the why usually has to be very, very strong. So what can we kind of glean from this whole marathon kind of thinking? Well, first, similar to a marathon, if you start to think about this pandemic and getting through kind of the next period of time, it'll probably be six months or more that we're going to take to get through this. And therefore, that why for you, why am I going to get through this? My why am I going to grind through this has got to be very strong. So I would really encourage, make a list of all the reasons why you want to get through the marathon of this pandemic as it relates certainly to your business. The second is, is while you might be assuming that you'll have projects to work on today or you might have projects to work on next month, you know, the reality is if in fact this is the marathon that we're talking about here, you need to really prepare for those projects, not just today, but from three months, six months down the road. So don't take your foot off of the pedal as it relates to the marketing efforts. Because you're going to need a lot of fuel, I think, if this goes on and on and on. You know, while a marathon is 26.2 miles, uh, you need to get through the first mile. You know, you've heard it, take one step at a time, put one foot in front of the other. You know, a marathon is one of these things that's so difficult, you have to focus on a step at a time. You got to focus on a mile at a time. And I think similar in terms of the businesses today, one of the things I'm strongly encouraging is focus on the month ahead, focus on the step ahead, because if you don't focus on the step ahead, you're going to have a lot of challenges. Number four on kind of gleaning from this marathon is, you know, you're going to need help. You're going to need support, you know, and I think when running a marathon, you not only need a little bit of tolerance on your family and certainly your work in terms of preparation and support, you oftentimes see in marathons, family members on the sidelines kind of cheering you on or at different points. This is also true, I think, in the pandemic marathon that we're in right now, is that you need support, whether they're your family members, whether your team members, or even support with roundtable groups. You know, we launched the Remodeling Mastery Roundtable Groups, and that's been huge in terms of giving people kind of moral and also uh, very specific strategies and techniques of how to get through things. Number five on my list is you got to pace yourself. You know, on the one hand, we're saying, you know, you got to take one step at a time, one foot at a time kind of through all this, but you also have to pace yourself. 
you know, it is very, very important, I think, to, you know, have those points that you're actually recharging, refueling when you're running a marathon. But also when it comes to you and your business, you've got to uh, uh, pace yourself. It might be that you're working long hours. However, you've got to carve out that time because everything tends to blend together. Carve out that time to really kind of recharge. Number six on my list is, you know, stay healthy. You know, again, similar to the marathon is that if you uh, injure yourself, if you have a problem, if you are sick, you're going to have a much, much more difficult time, I think, not only getting through the marathon, but also I think when it comes to your your business as well. You know, it is important that you stay healthy. It is important that you stay kind of focused on the right things if, in fact, you want to be successful. And number seven, and certainly not least, is while you're putting one foot in front of the other, it's really important that there will be kind of a pot at the end of the rainbow. Uh, There will be an opportunity to leave uh, really, really great impressions when it comes to your team and when it comes to your clients. That's where I think many of the memories are going to come from, uh, is not necessarily that you just got through it, but how you went through this process, certainly with clients and your team. And I think that the opportunity to get better as a result in terms of processes and systems, in terms of team growth, in terms of culture, in terms of your client base is really much, much greater. So, you know, we're going to be talking more with our thought leader today in our interview about, you know, what is it like to kind of work remotely or what is it like to kind of work virtually? Uh, And I think it really relates very much to this subject because You know, at the beginning of all this, we were kind of just waiting to get back to normal. Well, that's clearly not the case in large part because of the marathon that we're in. So whatever the metaphor you use, whether it's Indianapolis 500 race or whether it's getting a graduate degree, that all these things require time. They require a lot of commitment. They require a big why. Whatever that metaphor is for you, I'd encourage Try to find one, try to find one that relates so that in those moments that you're feeling kind of the pain and you're feeling the weariness of everything that you're going through, you can at least just kind of relate back that this will too pass. There is an end to this process. And I think the more that you understand it with something you can relate to, the better you'll be. So again, I want to thank everybody for listening to this particular opening of the podcast and stay tuned to our thought leader interview here shortly. Take care. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. Uh, This segment of Remodeling Mastery is, quite frankly, one of the more fun and interesting ones for me. Obviously, we want to talk about relevant topics. We want to bring you industry voices, and oftentimes those voices, you know, are not only uh, thought leaders, but they're also uh, experts of different kind of things. And what's interesting today in terms of my discussion uh, with Dean Curtis, who's the CEO of Engage, and we'll talk a little bit about his product and service a little bit later in the discussion. But uh, the reason that Dean is here with me today uh, is really not because of his product and kind of his day job, so to speak, But in many ways, it's about his environment and his experiences of kind of going virtual and working 
remotely and not necessarily be in a context that is uh, what many of you were used to in the past. And, you know, in some of my discussions with Dean, what I find fascinating compared to what everybody's experiencing now is, you know, as I've certainly talked about, you know, going virtual is kind of like a, a new sport. And, you know, you've been playing a certain sport for 10, 20, 30 years of your careers, whereas now all of a sudden you're kind of dealt some new cards and it's different and it's different. And many people are saying, I can't wait till it goes back to normal, but I also want to at least give you a little glimpse that, you know, normal could be, you know, going more virtual. So Dean, welcome. And uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Mark. We appreciate the opportunity to uh, share our story a little bit, share my story of, of working virtually and remote, and uh, hope we can be of value to the folks listening. So why don't we start kind of with the Dean story? Because, you know, this whole concept, you probably scratch your head a little bit and with all this stuff about, you know, virtual work or remote work or all those kind of things out there, you probably scratch your head and say, what's the big deal? I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. So what, what, tell us a little bit more about uh, your, your, uh, your history of working in a more remote kind of environment and maybe with some of those, you know, some of those milestones or stories, you know, maybe what were, you know, one or two of the lessons learned along the way. Yeah, Sure. So my my first career was actually as a classroom teacher in the Baltimore County Public School District. And after spending four years, four great years teaching middle school and high school mathematics, I decided to venture off and try the, the technology world. And the first technology company I was able to land a job with was Oracle. Uh, many people have probably heard of Oracle, a huge database software company. At least back then it was database. Now it's database and apps. And um, as a California-based company, uh, and I spent more than 20 years working for California-based companies, but living on the East Coast, I started working in an office. And about a year into my tenure, I realized that there really wasn't much value to being there because most of my teammates were never there. We traveled a bunch. And I asked my boss if I could work remotely because we wanted to move back to Philadelphia to be near family. And without hesitation, he said yes. Uh, so that was my first foray into remote work, which was back in 1999. Uh, so wow. 21... 21 years ago. And um, after that, I switched about a year and a half later to a company called IntelliSync. Uh, we made synchronization software for things like the BlackBerry um, devices. So if you ever synced your BlackBerry with Outlook or Lotus Notes, that was our software. Uh, and that was a 100% uh, remote position. So I had an apartment outside of Philadelphia. Um, I remember getting my laptop delivered to me via uh, UPS. Uh, I opened it up and I started work. Uh, and this was in 2000. So it was kind of hard for me to understand why it's such a big deal because I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, but I do remember back then that it was different, right? It, it, was, it took a lot more of my time and intentionality to make uh, connections with the people that I was working with. Um, back then, I did fly out to California a couple of times a year to meet with people face-to-face. -face, so there still was value to meeting people face-to-face. -face. There was no great video conferencing back then. So now having video conferencing, I think you can accomplish the same thing. Um, but I will say that the intentionality of building connections was super important. So if I look at lessons learned over 20 years of, of being a, a remote or a distributed employee, 
I look at the connections I was able to make and, and how important those were. Um, I also think one of the biggest lessons learned is, is understanding what's work and what's not work and really figuring out strategies. Uh, and that doesn't mean an eight-hour straight day, but you know, maybe it's an afternoon run with a friend or it's a coffee with a colleague uh, over, over a phone call. Um, lots of different things like that just to break up the day because being alone for eight hours at a time can be a bit daunting at times. Uh, and even when there's a lot of work to be done, having those breaks is pretty important. So those so would be two big lessons learned. Dean, let's just take this notion of uh, kind of creating a relationship or connections. And I know, you know, we've experienced not a lot, maybe a couple hours, two, three hours face to face, but countless hours more remotely. And honestly, and I'm, I, I think you do this and you don't even know that you do it so well, but I don't feel necessarily like I've missed all the face-to-face because you do it in a very comfortable and natural way. Uh, but if, if you were to dissect or give someone some advice, how do you make those connections You know, when you don't have that high-touch kind of opportunity? Well, and I'm glad you said that because I make it look natural. It's not natural for me. Um, I am, you could stick me in a room and put, put a whole bunch of work in front of me and I'd be satisfied to put my head down for 40 hours and just get it done. It's just, that's my personality. Um, and I've had to work intentionally with some systems in order to be proactive in doing outreach and be proactive in, in making those connections. So a couple couple of things that I do. Uh, at the beginning of each week, I make a list of people that I haven't connected with in a while. And I will either reach out to them via text or phone. Uh, and a lot of times, I'll, I'll actually create a little video and send it to them. Uh, one of the things that um, I'm known for with, with some of my friends is, is videos via text on their birthday. So rather than just a simple text message, uh, hey, happy birthday, I'll, wherever I happen to be that day, which is you know, hasn't changed very much lately, but you know, before I was commuting to New York or if I was in California for work, I'd be like, hey, I'm in San Francisco today, but I know it's your birthday. Have a great birthday. Um, nice. So those little things where I had to kind of push myself personally out of my comfort box of just heads down doing work um, and, and build, a, build little systems in order to and build those intentional um, relationships. I've also been very conscious to take time at the beginning of meetings, especially now. And I think we're doing this more and more over the last uh, four months in, in, our, in our meetings is we, we, we jokingly call it time for pleasantries. And really just genuinely asking, how are you doing? What are you up to? And then I strategically take notes. And a lot of times, if you look in my contact records, I have who, what their wife's name is, what their son's name is, when their birthdays are, milestones that they've achieved, and I'm not always great at it, but for the most part, I try and remember those things so that if I talk to them six months later, I can remember that they had the milestone anniversary or a child was born or their dog passed away or some sad note like, hey, how are you doing since whatever happened? Um, so those are a couple of little things that I try and do intentionally. Yeah. So, so one of the things that kind of relates to this, and it's maybe a little bit of the kind of the, 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 the science, if you want to call it that, of you know, trying to be more connected and have a relationship that is, you know, uh, that is, you know, at least equally good, but it's not necessarily 
as easy because it is done more virtually is even the frequency. You know, I found, for example, in the past, you know, if you can, you know, physically see someone, you know, once a month, then wow, that's a lot. Or if you can, you know, see them once a month, then maybe connect via telephone once a month. Okay, that's a lot. Whereas when we're, we're forced to not physically be together, it seems almost like there needs to be more littler touch points, littler kind of drips, so to speak, uh, to maintain that top of mind kind of relationship and, 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 and keep it going. Is that something that you think is valid or is that something I'm just kind of learning about? No, I think it is valid. I, th- what's the old saying, right? Out of sight, out of mind. Um, we have a we have a puppy. Uh, he's 15 weeks old, and he has a favorite toy. And his favorite toy is a carrot. It's this little stuffed carrot. My daughter bought it at PetSmart. She brought it home, and we're like, "This is the this is the most ridiculous toy. He's not going to like it." Of course, it's the one he likes the best. But if you take that toy and you put it behind your back, it's gone, right? He doesn't have the object permanence thing. I think we're very similar. In our in, in our being as well, right? If all of a sudden you're out of sight, you know, you kind of lose track or you kind of forget. And I think you know, being intentional—I've said the word a dozen times so far—being intentional about those things that really matter. Whether it's—and I'm a I'm a list person. Like I'll make a list. I'll, I'll make sure I'm following up with those things. But I agree with you, um, and, you know, and I agree with you that the having those touch points, whether it just be a simple text or a little email. Or a quick voice memo, or a, you know, I, I, right before this call, uh, I had 45 minutes on my calendar for our company where anyone can just drop into a Zoom meeting where we can connect. And I, what I do is I set it up where uh, it's a meeting room and there's a there's a waiting room for people to come in. And anyone who has a question wants to talk to me about something, rather than scheduling a meeting, there I'm just there. And in those touch points, like you said, the little ones really make a big difference, right? This one gentleman on our team, we had something to talk about. Rather than schedule a 30-minute meeting, he just dropped into the office hours. Another gentleman that, that popped in, he just had a question about a book that I, I had recommended. Like little things like that. And I think those relationships are going to be stronger because of it. Now, you, one of your, your kind of previous stops along your way to you know, uh, uh, creating this uh, amazing company called Engage was was Apple. I think most of our listeners have probably either heard of them or probably have one of them, one of their product uh, in their pocket. Uh, so what, what did you learn from some of the Apple experiences as it relates to, you know, not just going remotely in terms of kind of the uh, uh, relationship you had with your clients, but also the culture, uh, you know, internal culture of the organization. Yeah, so it, I did. I spent eight, eight great years at Apple. Um, part of the responsibilities that we had there were building the enterprise business around iPhone. And when I say enterprise and iPhone, most people don't think of those two things in the same breath, right? If you remember back in 2008, which is when I started Apple, there was uh, basically BlackBerry, uh, the Palm Trio, and then everything else. And the majority of people were using Blackberries in business. And our, our edict or our, our, our goal was to gain penetration, gain market share in the enterprise with iPhone. 
We did that by building a 100% remote team outside of Cupertino to go and attack the enterprise. It was very different culturally than what most, how most teams are formed at Apple. A lot of, you'll notice on, on Apple products, it's you know, designed in California. And a lot of the, the culture is designed around the, and the, it's called this, it's called the mothership. And um, so it was a bit of a, a salmon-like experience swimming against the stream to build this remote culture. But I would, I would contend that because we had such a strong bond between that team being in all different states across the United States, there was eight, eight people on my team, eight people on the sales team in order to, to build this, this go-to-market strategy. And it was really about building strong bonds, constant communication, um, building a very strong plan, adhering to the plan, and then reporting back to the people who who were uh, in charge in California. And you know there were touch points like like my other California experience that I mentioned earlier. We would go out to California and we would meet with um, the executives at Apple and, and check in on the program and all that. But the majority of our success was around virtual touch points. And this is even just over phone back then. I can't imagine having been had the luxury of video conference uh, like we do today, which I think is, is, is a, an extremely valuable piece of technology, how even more effective we might have been in building that team and, and having the success that we had and bringing an iPhone to enterprise. So speaking of that culture, so you engage, uh, you have... A remote culture. You have people that are in many, many different cities or many different parts of the country. Um, how? Give us some of the secret sauce. I mean, what do you do to kind of maintain this? You know, this this kind of spirit of you know we're we're all kind of rowing together. We. Uh, you know the 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 vision, the alignment, uh, those kind of things. What 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 are some of the tips that you've learned that, you know, some of the folks out there that are just used to, you know, kind of looking at each other and see, seeing sweat dripping off their nose, you don't really get that same opportunity. Yeah, it's a great question. We I think it first begins with trust, and when you hire the right people and put the the those people in the in a job that they can excel at. Um, you are you. You really set yourself up for success because if someone doesn't have the skill and you have to continuously check in on them, or you really need to have literally an eye on them, um, it's not going to work. And when you have people that you trust, and we have employees here that we you know trust to the end, that is that goes a long way. The, the next key is being sure they have the systems and they have all that they need to be successful. And whether, whether that's a desk, a phone, a computer, or time, right? Maybe there's, you know, we have one employee who's, you know, right now going through what they're going through. He has to split up his day because he's, he's working, you know, part of the day. His wife has to work part of the day and they're, they're working that out. So it's also the flexibility to meet them where they are in order for them to be incredibly successful and bring the genius to the job that they have, which is why we hired them to do the job that they have. Um, and then last, but certainly not least, it's communication. It's constant communication, whether that's through our weekly company meetings, our three times a week company hangouts, the office hours that I mentioned before, 
Um, it's using communication tools. We, we're a, a, a big user of Slack within our, within our culture. Um, and that's not just for work-related stuff either, right? We try our best to have ways that our employees can communicate on non-work-related stuff as well. We have your typical water cooler channel in Slack where people can share the hike that they took over the weekend or, the, or the, we have a food channel where they can share you know, what food they were making over throughout the week or over the weekend, what they had for lunch. So little things like that, which are going to connect people in a very different way than just, did you get that bug report filed? Or <laughs> did you get that sales number? Or did you, you know, it's not always just about work. Now you, you have found, and I know you're a big advocate, both for your business as well as, uh, as well as with your clients of kind of leveraging Zoom as, as at least one of the technologies. What, what are some of those other technologies? Talk to us a little bit about Zoom, uh, why Zoom as opposed to some of the other video conferencing and maybe some of the other technologies that, you know, that remodelers and, and business people can kind of maybe consider putting in their tool belt, so to speak, uh, to be more successful in this environment. Yeah, we we used to have there's there's tons of these out there, right? You have Microsoft Teams, you have WebEx, you have GoToMeeting, UberConf. I mean, there's just tons of these different ones, Blue Jeans, all of them. And we actually used to have Ready Conference, and the, the team really liked it. And the main reason was they were familiar with it. The problem was the customer experience wasn't all that great. So as a customer was trying to get on a conference, it was very cumbersome. Now, whether that's improved and not no indictment or anything on these technology providers, what we found was that Zoom provided the, the simplest interface for a customer to get on. And since our sales process is 100% remote, like we don't have field salespeople. Uh, we do all of our selling remotely from now our home office is what used to be our office in New York City. And we wanted to make sure that our customers had the easiest experience. And we found that Zoom offered that. Now, Zoom has gotten some negative press because of how easy they made it. They, they might have had a couple of holes, which I think they've done a good job of plugging up um, in terms of security. And I think that they've done a really good job of, of making sure that the experience is great, but also the security is top-notch as well. Um, the other thing that we like about Zoom is it's really easy to share. And a big thing that we do in, pres- in, in sales meetings is, is share presentations. And it's, it's the genesis of our business. It is what we do. So being able to very easily share your screen with someone and share content over a Zoom meeting, whether it's from an iPad or from your Windows machine or for your Mac, was a really important piece for us as well. Uh, so those two things, just making it super simple for the customer and then super simple for our staff in order to, to use those technology tools was, was key to our choosing Zoom. I think others are doing a very similar job. I still think Zoom does a great job of, of really nailing those two points. Other technology things that we leverage, I mentioned Slack, make, make great use of Slack. Uh, we're also using uh, an app called Trello. Trello is a very simple to use. I, I, we use it more for project management than anything else. Uh, it's a way to really easily visualize projects and assign items out. You can link to a lot of other systems. Uh, we're a G Suite customer. so. Our, our email is all on G Suite, our documents, all of that. Um, it saves us a lot of money too. We don't have to have expensive office licenses for everyone um, because they just don't use them. Uh, we, we can use the G Suite uh, for all of those. And then each team has different pieces of technology that really enable them. 
Our sales team uses, uh, uses HubSpot for our CRM, uh, which is great because it helps us not only keep track of the customer side of things, but all the whole life cycle of a customer. So we have the ability to track all the interactions, pre-sales, during sales, and then post-sales through onboarding and then support. Our, our, our engineering team uses JIRA and the Atlassian suite. But the idea being every piece of technology has a purpose. We've done a lot of pruning over the last few years uh, since I came to the company to really eliminate either redundant software. There was a, a point in time where people were adding it in because it was what they liked. And then all of a right. sudden, there's, there's four task management systems. And you're like, well, which one do I use? And we wanted to get rid of a lot of that redundancy. Um, so you know, just the, the pro tip there is keep it as simple as possible, right? Simple systems win every single time. Excellent. So Dean, take, take a couple minutes uh, and tell us about another technology, which is obviously your business, Engage. And you know, give us kind of the cliff notes. And, and certainly I would encourage, you know, not only uh, certainly all of our listeners to, you know, think about, uh, you know, what you've learned today in terms of this new dance called virtual kind of work, but also, you know, really reaching out to engage and reaching out to, you know, Dean and his team. They have some pretty amazing products that really can help you differentiate yourself, uh, certainly from all the competition, but also weave very nicely into kind of the, a little bit of the environment and the straitjacket that, uh, you know, we're all living through, which is a little bit more virtual activity. But tell us a little bit about Engage, Dean. Yeah, sure. So it was built on the premise that presentations are often boring and static and fail to create engagement with the audience that they're being presented to. And we really look at that from a, the perspective of a sales meeting. And if you're trying to sell somebody what you're selling them, you're trying to sell them new windows, you're trying to sell them a, a design build on a new house, you're trying to position your company as the foremost expert of what you're doing. The last thing you want them to do is check out seconds into your pitch because they've completely lost interest. So we have built a software platform which allows um, the non-design professional, obviously, if you're a designer, you're going you're gonna to do even more with it. But we believe we can help even the non-designer create amazing presentations that wow their customers and keep their attention. But that's not just it. Creating a great presentation is only one part of it. When you can share that with your staff, right? Maybe you have a sales team of five people. How do you make sure they all have the latest and greatest presentation at all times? We take care of that problem but also when you want to share it with your customer. So we have the option for you to publicly share that presentation that you've just given to someone, and then they can view it on any device that they have. And then at the end, measure the impact of that material that you've presented. Let's say you have a sales team of 10 people, and you have five people who are really doing great, and five people who are struggling or new. right? And they're, just not, they're just not ready yet to be uh, really at the top of their game you can look at the analytics on how they're delivering presentations and you can track and see what are the overperformers? What, what are the great people doing? And what are the underperformers? How are they presenting? And really look and use it to coach your, your sales team on how they're delivering that content. That's one aspect of it. You can also, hey, Mark, I just presented to you. I sent you a presentation. I know if you actually viewed it after we met. I not only know if you viewed it, I know what you viewed 
and how much time you spend. So those types of analytics, right? The, the ability to create, the ability to share with your team and with others, and then measure the impact of that content really sets us apart when, when it's, it's not just another presentation. It's all of those things mixed together. Well, Dean, I want to thank you uh, so much for joining us today. And I know that, uh, uh, you know, I think everybody is uh, kind of grappling with, you know, how do I get used to kind of this new environment? And I think the more you realize, you know, there are people out there that not only have been working, you know, virtually, remotely, working with their teams, with their clients in this kind of way, and they've not only been kind of doing it, uh, they haven't been doing it as, as kind of a disability. They've been doing it because of, you know, so many of the advantages of it. And I think the more that you look at it that way, the more successful. And again, I, I would encourage very much, uh, you know, reach out, check out uh, what Dean and his company is doing because, you know, as a advisor and coach to many, many remodeling businesses out there, you know, it's not that hard to differentiate yourself, but if you can have, you know, a tool that can kind of supersize your story and uh, that you can, in fact, win uh, a lot more situations and certainly create a lot more joy in the client's lives as a result of it. So thank you, Dean, for joining us today and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Mark. We really appreciate being on. Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Sharefire Local. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 